So we're in, in Luke chapter uh, 17, and um, man, this is a great passage of Scripture. We've been in the, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, kind of just going straight through it. And uh, before we get there, before we uh, start reading out of uh, chapter 17, I want to just pray. And you know, I just uh, want to just say how much I appreciate our worship team. You guys did a great job this morning. Week after week, you always do. And... Uh, so just join with me for a second in prayer. Father, we uh, so, are so grateful just to come in. Your word says that when two or more are gathered in your name, uh, that you're in a miss, Father. We thank you for being in our presence this morning. We thank you that you were not only with us in worship during the time of prayer and healing, but you'll also minister to us through the word of God this morning. And so, Lord, we pray that you would quicken our spirit. Your word says that uh, Jesus said about the word that it is life, that the word is life. And your word also says about itself, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that he will quicken or make alive your mortal body. And Father, we thank you that you can quicken us, you can make us alive this morning through your Holy Spirit and through, the pre through your presence and through the word of God. So Father, uh, we would just declare everyone that needs life this morning, everyone that wants to cling to life this morning, if you need life this morning, just raise your hand. Okay, a few of you do. Okay, all right. The rest of you, um, you're going to get it whether you want it or not, okay? I promise you that. All right. So uh, Luke chapter 17, it says that, uh, you know, uh, what, this morning we take a shift, just a little bit of shift in the text and, and uh, you know, what Jesus is saying and doing. Uh, remember, he's been having this clash with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, that they have rejected him. They've rejected the kingdom. Remember, he, you know, John the Baptist came preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and enter into the kingdom of God. And um, there were those that did, and there were those that rejected him. Many of the religious leaders rejected him, although we know that there were some. We read in John chapter 3, Nicodemus was a, a religious leader. He was a... a a Pharisee that came to Jesus. He was one of those uh, teachers of the law that came to Jesus by night. And uh, uh, we see that he and also Joseph of Arimathea were religious leaders that embraced Jesus, uh, embraced his words as true and truth. And, um, but there are those that were th that group that was constantly skeptical because when Jesus came, he didn't present the gospel or he didn't present the kingdom in a way that they thought uh, that it was going to come. And so they, you know, it, it caused them to have doubt. So we pick up in verse 20. It says, once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, and Jesus replied that the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. What's that mean? All right, what that simply means is, is that in the, uh, remember when Jesus, he talks about that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, or he talks about how the kingdom of God is like leaven, that it take, you take just a little bit of leaven and you put it in the lump, and pretty soon it's got, you know, everything is just like the whole lump has been overtaken by the lump of leaven or by the yeast. And so what he's saying is that, you know, I mean, when, you, when we think about the kingdom of God, you know, the, the kingdom of God and the king and the kingdom are synonymous to one another. So when we think about Jesus and you think about uh, his life upon this earth and we think about, you know, spending three years, three and a half years with the disciples 
And if we were going to measure the success of his ministry based on what it looked like, you know, we'd almost have to say that Jesus' ministry, uh, okay, on, on, on that Friday when Jesus is hanging on the cross, one would have to conclude that Jesus' ministry was a dismal failure. I mean, you've got, he's been, he spent three and a half years with these disciples, and they have put everything, they put all of their faith, all of their hope, all of their trust in him, and they're looking at the one that they thought was the Messiah hanging on this tree, beaten and bloodied and dead on the, cru- the cross. And one would have to conclude that, man, what a failure. What a failure. All right. So when we think about that and we think about a, a mustard seed, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a little mustard seed. See, it didn't look like success. That day, that Friday, it didn't look like success. But here we are 2,000 years later, and we can see that the kingdom of God is multiplied and spread across the entire globe. I mean, the entire planet has been there. There's rarely a place that you can go that people haven't heard about Jesus or Christianity or the Bible, okay? And so when Jesus is talking to this group of religious leaders, he's saying they're talking about, you know, well, I mean, I thought the kingdom was going to, you know, the king was going to show up, the kingdom was going to be evident, and every, the whole world would bow down. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't come with observation. You can't, you can look at it, you can look at me, and Jesus said, basically, you can look at me, but you know what, you probably won't really see the kingdom looking at me until you get a little bit removed from it. And so Jesus is addressing their concern to the first, you know, his coming and establishing the kingdom. But notice then, He says, the kingdom does not come with careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Now, notice, he's talking to the group of Pharisees, and then he shifts the conversation, and he shifts to the disciples. And then he said to his disciples, and from this point, once he starts talking to the disciples, he doesn't go back. He doesn't readdress what the Pharisees' question was about the kingdom of God coming. He's talking about a different, he's talking about two different points in time. One, the first one when he's addressing the Pharisees is when Jesus came the first time when he came and proclaimed that the kingdom of God was available on this earth. And the second point in time is when Jesus comes back. I'm not talking about in the rapture because Jesus doesn't come back. We call that a flyover. You know, Jesus kind of like comes down, doesn't, his feet doesn't touch the earth. You know, trumpet sound, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those that are alive will remain together for the Lord forever. All right, and then he comes back. We've got that seven-year tribulation period, and then Jesus comes back, and then this is what Jesus is starting to address here. In verse 22, he says to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. And men will tell you, there he is, or here he is, do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, listen to this, first he must suffer many things, talking about going to Jerusalem, talking about being crucified, talking about being rejected by this generation, that present generation, and just as it was in the days of Noah. Now, this is where this gets interesting, and I want to really kind of focus in on this. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the, son, uh, in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up until the day that Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and destroyed them all. And it will be the same as in the days of Lot. People were 
eating and drinking and buying and selling and planning and building the day that Lot left Sodom and fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be just like that on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, now listen to this, on that day, what day? What day are we talking about? We're talking about the day of the, the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, not, we're not talking about the rapture. We're not talking about when he first came to establish the kingdom. We're talking about the end of that seven-year tribulation period when Jesus comes back. And on that day, let no one who is on the roof, uh, let no one who is on the roof uh, of his house with his goods inside should go down and get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whosoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in bed. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, one will be left. Where, Lord, they asked. And he replied, where there is a dead body, the vultures will be gathered together. I want to just tell you that, you know, I, I, came, I, I became a believer in 1970. I've been a believer for a long time. And this is one of those scriptures. This is one of those scriptures right here that has just always just kind of like perplexed me. It's just like, you know, he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man. He's talking about, you know, Jesus, you know, coming back again. And then all of a sudden he throws this last verse in there. It's like 37. Like, God, what are you talking about? What I mean, how does this even fit? And so... Uh, I'm, hopefully we can help you today with that. All right? So he says that it's going to be like the days of Noah and it's going to be like the days of Lot. And so I want us to just kind of, you know, delve into that a little bit and let's see what the days of Noah were like and what the days of Lot were like. In essence, what he's saying, because he's talking about it, he says that, you know, uh, he says that in the days of, uh, of Lot, people were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planning and building but the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them, destroyed that city. So what he's saying is that, you know, how many people, how many of you have ever heard somebody say, yeah, I'm just going to live my life the way I'm going to live my life, and when I'm dying on my deathbed, I'm going to accept Jesus. Anybody ever hear anybody say that? Anybody beside me? All right, two or three of you, okay. All right. Well, there are people out there that actually believe that. But what this is saying is that you're not going to have that opportunity because they were not aware that judgment was coming until judgment was already up on them. It was already too late. It was too late at that point. And so, listen to this. He says here, now, I, just kind of like, you know, I've got a forethought and an afterthought on this. And, the, I, you know, I just want us to consider this for just a moment. Um, he tells two stories. He tells a story about Noah and he tells a story about Lot. And in both of those stories, uh, in both of those stories of both Noah and Lot, there is a story of a rescue. Both Noah was rescued and Lot was rescued. But there, in both of those stories, there's also a story about judgment. In Noah's story, there's a story about judgment. And in Lot's story, there's a story about judgment. So I want us to just kind of consider that as we move forward. But listen to this. Let me just kind of set this up and we'll try to paint this picture together. He says, if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, and if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood 
on his ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what's going to happen, of what's going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lies of lawless men. For that righteous man, speaking about Lot, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, listen to this, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. So what he's saying is that God understands. God knows how to deliver the godly from judgment. Um, and then let's just kind of pick up in Genesis chapter 6. Um, it says in Genesis chapter 6, talking about the days of Noah, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become. Now keep in mind, he's saying that the coming of the Son of Man, when Jesus comes back, and we're talking about this is after that tribulation period, when Jesus comes back, that, uh, uh, that the, the climate, the spiritual climate, the... The, uh, the works on earth will be very similar to what it was like during the days of Noah and the days of, uh, of Lot. He says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and that every inclination of thought, or the thoughts of his heart, was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. And then he says, uh, the Lord said to Noah, I, I want you to just kind of pick this up because there's some subtle little things that are injected here that I think it's important for us to see. That we know, we know this, don't we? That one day like the Lord is like a, a thousand years and a thousand years is like a, a day, okay? So the Lord said to Noah, how long was the tribulation period? Seven years. Okay, thank you. All right. So the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. And take with you seven of every kind of clean animals, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animals, a male and his mate, and seven kinds of birds, male and female, and keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Now listen to this. Seven, hello? Seven days from now. So what's that mean? Does that mean that before judgment came, that God locked Noah in the ark seven days before judgment came? Isn't that what that's saying? Seven days from now, I'm going to send rain on the earth. So God says to Noah and his family, he says, I want you guys, you and your sons and your, daughter, your, your daughter-in-laws and your wife, I want all eight of you to go get in the ark. And in seven days from now, I'm going to bring an incredible judgment on the earth. So, one day is with the Lord like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And so if God locked up Noah seven days before, and we know that 
you know, the tribulation period lasted seven, it's a seven-year period, right? So before this great judgment fell upon the earth, God says with a trumpet shout, with a trumpet shout, he says the dead in Christ are going to rise first, right? So he's, God's saying, he says in, in Thessalonians, he says that, that, that he, he's calling us with that trumpet shout so that the church will not experience the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not for the church. The wrath of God is not being poured out on the church. It's being poured out on an unbelieving world, okay? And so, so he's saying that seven days from now I will send rain on the, on the earth, and for 40 days and 40 nights I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature that I've made. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Now we're going to shift to Lot. This is also in Genesis chapter 19. It says, the two men said to Lot, now, I want you to think about this, guys. You think about, you know, I mean, we can give Lot a hard time because, you know, he, you know, he chose the best of the land, and, you know, Abraham set the land before him. He says, you choose this side, I'll take the left. You take the right, I'll take the left. You take the left, I'll take the right. Just go ahead and choose whatever you want. And we understand that Lot chose the portion of land that was closest to Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's something, you know, in that passage of Scripture that makes us think that, that you know, that Lot's heart was, you know, that, you know, he had to, there was something that was kind of broken in his heart. We certainly see that with Lot's wife. And so, um, but think about this. You know, suppose today that you're walking out of church and in the parking lot, you know, two strangers, people that you've never met before, approach you and say, God has sent me to bring wrath upon Santa Fe tonight, and this city is going to be destroyed. I want you to not go home. I don't want you to pack a bag. I don't want you to, you know, I don't want you to take anything with you. I want you to flee. I want you to, you know, head for the mountains, head for the hills. I mean, how much faith would it take, take for you to do that? How much faith would it take for you to be obedient to that? There's no indication that Lot knew these guys. In fact, it says they were strangers to him. Let's read the rest of the story. Two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city that belonged to you. Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to be married to his daughters, and he said, hurry, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. And with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot and said, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away with this city and, uh, when the city is punished. And he hesitated, and the men grasped his hands and the hands of his wife and the two of his daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. Remember what we said, that the Lord knows how to deliver the godly uh, out of judgment. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives and don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. All right, so as I, as I you know, read this, I, I'm thinking about you know, this judgment, thinking about the judgment of, of the earth, thinking about the times of Noah, the times of Lot, and the coming of the Son of Man. And, uh, you know, he says that, that so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. People will be buying and selling and marrying and giving into marriage, and they won't even know until it's too late. Once judgment comes, it's too late. So as I, as I begin to look at this, you know, the word I feel like we have to 
for, for us as a church today, as individuals in the church body today, is the word that God gave to Lot's uh, wife, the angels gave to Lot and to his family. He says that don't look back. He said, by the time that Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land and the Lord had rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. What is the implication of that? I don't think it was just like, you know, just careful observation that she just wants to look back and, and see the fire come back. I think there was something in her heart, you know, I believe that she was caught in a place of weighing and wanting. You know, do I go to this place where God is calling me? Do I go to this place where Jesus is calling me to go? I bet, man, Sodom and, Gore, Sodom and Gomorrah is such an incredible, beautiful you know, place. Do I really want to leave this place? And I believe that her heart was torn between following God and following the ways of this world. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, he says, uh, as the, one by one, men and women became to, uh, came to Jesus and said, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll follow you wherever you're going. And another one came and said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for its service in the kingdom of God. It's just kind of like, you know, Jesus calls you, and then all of a sudden you think, you know what, do I really, I mean, it's called counting the cost. Do I really want to count the cost? Do I, do I really want to give up what I have right now to follow Jesus? That's what he's talking about. Do I really want to give this up to follow Jesus? Counting the cost. And he says, don't look back. Don't look back at this world, because the Bible tells us that the world and all that it has to offer is going to be destroyed one of these days. It, like Sodom and Gomorrah, just like this world was destroyed at one time, this world is going to be destroyed. The second thing that I want us to consider is that don't look back, but where do we look to? If we're not looking back, what are we looking to? We're looking to Jesus. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, look, let us look to Jesus, the one who began our faith and makes it perfect. He suffered death on the cross. But he accepted the shame as if it were nothing because of the joy that God put before him. Now he is sitting at the right side of God's, uh, right side of God's the one. Think about, Jesus, think about Jesus' example. He held on while wicked, wicked people were doing evil things to him. So do not get tired and stop trying. And then Isaiah chapter 45. He says, the Lord says, look to me and be saved. All of you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I want you to think about this in, in, uh, in the context of this passage of Scripture from Numbers chapter 21. And this is the Scripture that, that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. In Luke chapter, or John chapter 3, verse uh, 14, you know, he's talking about how the children of Israel looked upon the serpent. He says, um, and this is the story from uh, Numbers chapter 21. It says, the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. And they bit the people, and many Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned and spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. And that's what we're doing. When we're looking at the cross, he says, Jesus says you know, that the Son of Man will be lifted up. And, and, the, and those that look to him, in that lifted up on the cross kind of state. If you look to him believing that the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. 
And so if you're looking to him for salvation, just like the children of Israel looked to the snake that Moses made or the serpent that Moses made and placed on the pole, and the Lord said to Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. And Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. I would just tell you that there's salvation. The Bible says that there is no salvation given to men whereby they can be saved except in the name of Christ Jesus. His only salvation is given is in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you have not received him today, I encourage you to behold, look at him. Look at him on the cross because the only reason that he is on the cross is for your salvation. And then the third thing that I want us to look at as we consider this passage of Scripture this morning, looking for a new heaven and earth. He said, you ought to live holy and godly lives, speaking to the church, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That's talking about the day of the Lord. That day will bring about destruction of heaven by fire and elements will melt with heat. But in keeping with the promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Righteousness. So, dear friends, uh, since we are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. And so, as we go back, I want us to go back and just consider for just a moment. Um, I know that uh, if you're like me, you've read this passage of Scripture uh, from Luke, and I've read it with the understanding that this passage of Scripture is talking about the rapture, that one would be in the field, one would be taken, one would be left, one would be at the mill, one would be taken, one would be left. And then they ask, the disciples ask that question that we always want to know, where? Where, Lord? They're, they're, they're asking, where, where is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? And he throws in that scripture that has troubled me and perhaps plagued you as well. He says that where there is a dead body, the vultures will be gathered together. And so we ask once again, what does it mean? What, what does that mean? And so if you've got your Bible, I, didn't, I don't have this on the overhead, but if you want to turn to uh, Revelation chapter 19, and I'll just, uh, we're going to close with this. In Revelation chapter 19, we're talking about that day, that day of the Lord. We're not talking about the rapture. We're not talking about when Jesus came the first time. We're talking about that great and notable day of the Lord. And I saw heaven. This is 1911, Revelation 1911. And I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Any question as to who we're talking about? Hello? Okay. All right. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, with which he will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter, 
and he will tread on the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. All right, let's go back. Where, Lord, he replied, where a dead body is, there the vultures will be gathered together. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds in the midair, come and gather yourself together for the great supper of God that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and uh, mighty and, and of the mighty and of horses and of their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave and great and small. Well, it makes a little more sense, doesn't it? And so I ask you, do you want to be the one taken or do you want to be the one left? All right? So when we, if anybody ever asks you that question, the answer is simple, that you want to be where Jesus is. In the rapture, you want to be where Jesus is, right? You want to be where he is. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when we see Jesus coming back, um, the one that is taken is taken for destruction. He's taken for, you know, for the birds to gather and feast on. The ones that are left, the ones that are left are going to rule and reign with Jesus for that thousand-year period. I want to be one of the ones that's ruling and reign with Jesus. How about you? You want to be there? You want to be on that side? All right. All right, so guys, so as we think about this this morning, just a quick little recap. Uh, we, um, I, I want us to, to look not backward, not considering, you know, this world, what has this world got to offer you and I? Nothing. I mean, we know that it's all coming to pass, but Peter says that this earth will melt with a fervent heat. Uh, heavens are going to melt. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. So there's nothing in this world that the world has to offer us, Okay. The second thing I want us to look forward to is we want to look to Jesus, that Jesus can get you through any trial, any problem that you're facing today. I don't care how, how great a problem you're facing today. Our God is able. Can we say that together? Our God is able. He is able. He's able to deliver you from the fiery trial that you're facing. He's able to deliver you from temptation. He is able to deliver you from judgment that's coming up on the face of this earth. Our God is able. And not only is he able, but like the leper so many years ago who said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me whole. And Jesus said, what? That's kind of a paraphrase. He didn't really say it. He, <laughs> he said, willing? Seriously, you've got to be kidding me. Of course I'm willing. I'm willing. He was willing 2,000 years ago. He's willing today. No matter what you're facing today, he is willing to see you through it. And God is preparing, looking forward to that place where there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So, so guys, don't look back. Look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith, and then also know that he is preparing a new place for you, a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus said, if it weren't true, I wouldn't have told you. But I'm telling you because it is true.